Custom Car Care. Good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. We're going to have a little car care talk. Miss Sarah, how are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? Very good. Uh, we were talking off air that you're still kind of in the car hunt, and you mentioned the Carfax. You're kind of checking the Carfax report. So interestingly enough, something came up over the weekend. Miss Stacy, my lady, um, was looking. She is interested in a used Honda Element. Have you ever looked at one of those? They're kind of a boxy little Honda SUV. I haven't looked at them, but I know I've seen them on the road. They're very utilitarian. It's kind of neat. The back seat like folds down and then they fold up against the windows. So you have all this cargo area. So if you haul things or you're a flea market person, they're a great vehicle. Or if you have dogs or whatever, anybody that I've ever known that has a Honda Element loves them to death. Like it's a cult following kind of thing. But the reason I bring this up is she found one that had obviously been pretty severely wrecked. And she did the same thing you did and looked it up on Carfax, and there was no wrecked damage listed on Carfax. Uh-oh. And so I got to kind of explain to her, really the only way, and I thought I would share this with you so you know you and the listeners out there could know as well, really the only thing of when one gets reported to Carfax if there is an insurance claim associated with gotcha. that car. So say I have liability and I run into, you know, whatever, and, you know, there's really no damage to another vehicle and I retain the car. Obviously, I didn't get insurance money out of it, so there was no claim. So I potentially could fix the car or do the cosmetic work. It could still have damage underneath and sell the car to you. I wouldn't do this, by the way, just so everybody knows. And you would be none the wiser because there's no Carfax report unless somebody looked a little deeper in it. So a lot of times when we do a pre-purchase inspection, and I have found this before, where there's a clean Carfax on it. There's really no wreck history, but I can tell that it's got aftermarket headlights in it or aftermarket bumpers, and then I raise it up. And on the undercarriage of the vehicle, I can tell that it's had some some accident damage. Now, that's not always a deal breaker. You will find this a lot with older vehicles that somebody wrecked it and they did kind of a you know somewhat patch or half job fixing it up. And then they put it back out there on the used market and then folks buy them and you're you're saddled with what the consequences are. So um, if it's a good fix and there are good folks and, and good body shops out there that do good repairs, as well as even if they take it to a body shop and have the repairs done and they pay out of pocket, not always is it reported to Carfax as well. So Carfax is a very good resource. I would definitely keep it in mind. Um, but you need to, as part of our pre-purchase, which you and Ryan have been, you know, very astute, and we've looked at several vehicles that really we kind of, you know, made sure that you guys didn't get in a situation with a bad vehicle, that, uh, you know, it's all on the up and up before you end up with owning that problem. So does that make any sense? Does that help? It does. And I've been using Carfax um, kind of to see where the vehicle has originated from. That's a good way to use it. Yes, and right now it's really difficult for me to actually go and take a look at a mm-hmm. vehicle and to test drive just because I have the little one and the husband is currently working nights. Yeah. So it's hard to make our... It, it's like uh, all the planets have to align, right. really. So we have to make sure that you know we both are there and somebody can watch the kiddo and... 
it just hasn't happened. So it's a really great way for me to see if a vehicle has originated with a place that has a lot of salt or um, they have a lot of winter weather. That way I can see, make sure that there's not going to be a lot of rust in the frame. And that's kind of helped me out. I've noticed a couple of vehicles that I've looked at. One came from, I believe, Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I guarantee there's probably going to be some rust underneath the frame. I went ahead and took it in anyways because I did like it. And of course, yes, it did have rust. So just those little things that you have been slowly teaching me (laughs) on this show, I have been using in my daily life. Well, and that's fantastic. Sarah, that's really what we're doing up here is trying to share a lot of that information with the listeners out there so they don't get in a bad situation. I, If I've done it once, I've done it a hundred times. You know, I have folks that come in, they bought a vehicle, it's theirs, they can't return it, they can't get out from under it. A lot of times you spent all of your reserve trying to, you know, make sure and obtain the best vehicle possible. And then, you know, you have somebody look at it or it has problems and those problems cost, you know, sometimes more than what they should um, as a basis of how much you spent on the vehicle is what I mean by that. So there's been instances where people buy a four or $5,000 vehicle. They don't know about the issues or sometimes people have masked some of the issues and there's four or $5,000 that need to be invested in a four or $5,000 car. And that's where I see people really get frustrated and I don't blame them. I mean, I totally hear where they're coming from. It'd be a bad darn spot to be in that, you know, hey, I shelled out this money, but it's going to cost that much, if not more, in repairs. And it's much better to know that on the front side. Maybe you do go ahead and buy the vehicle, but you can negotiate some on the price. It basically makes you an informed and empowers you a little bit instead of, you know, just kind of taking somebody at their word. And unfortunately, it's hard to find somebody that you can take at their word. And if you do and you know, you know, like it's a family friend or whatever, you still need to get it looked at because maybe they don't know that there's some of these problems. You know, it's done something funny once in a while and blah, blah, blah. Um, We had a lady come in here a while back. Uh, The engine essentially would make a rattling noise very randomly. And I took it out and drove it. It didn't make any noises, didn't do anything. And as I was backing it out after doing the pre-purchase, I heard a mechanical clank or knock. And so we saved her from buying one that was going to need an engine right out of the gate, which would have been awful for her. So hopefully whoever she took it back to, I'm sure they knew something was going on with that. And they were trying to pass it off, but they were they did, were not able to pass it off to our customer because she brought it in and had us look at it. So it's one of those things we're trying to protect people from buying trouble because we all got enough trouble in, in today's day and age. That's right. I Man, I wish that I would have had the relationship that I do now with A1 mm-hmm. when I purchased my vehicle. Not saying that I don't love my vehicle yep. and not that it hasn't been a great vehicle. I feel like I've taken pretty good care of you it have. and you guys have been awesome on keeping me updated and yeah. informed on problems that are going on with it as well as potential problems that you have seen mm-hmm. um, in other Chevy Cruze owners, but I wish that I would have known that there was going to be these problems so I could have planned for it or maybe even purchased a different vehicle. I purchased my Chevy Cruze maybe like two months after I started working here. Mm -hmm. And so I had been producing your show, but we really didn't have like that relationship Mm -hmm. yet. We were still getting to know each other. Now I 
refuse to not have uh, at least your your approval or somebody on the A1's yeah. team approval for my next vehicle. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, as the years that we've been doing this, you know, it, it's been wonderful to have that relationship with many listeners and, and customers out there. I've got a dear friend. Uh, his wife has a Buick Enclave, and it has the same engine and drivetrain as your cruise. And so we're going through very similar stuff. Pretty much everybody that has a 1.4 turbo, um, probably from 20, I'm going to say 10 to probably 16, somewhere in that range, those vehicles have a engineered set of repairs that, you know, for 60, 80,000 miles, they're good. But after that is where all those repairs start to come in. Valve cover replacement, intake replacement, turbo replacement, many oil seals, oil engine cooler um, I could continue to go on and on and on. And uh, so anybody out there that has one of those cars, we've done a lot of the repairs and trying to keep them up, but educate them as well. And so I was literally on the phone with him earlier this week saying, hey, um, they're interested in moving to a different car. She really loves the way that car drives. It's a small SUV. It's easy to park. It's gets great fuel mileage. It's pretty responsive. And I said, hey, I know you guys love this. And, and it was actually her second one. The first one was wrecked. And so she went out and bought another one. I said, if you guys could get away from this engine platform, you're going to be better off for it, which is essentially some of the advice that, you know, we've had for you and Ryan over the years. But it's just kind of knowing what you're getting. Um, they all have problems. I don't care who makes it. Uh, but I want you to have as least amount of trouble as possible. And that way you're not buying an engineered flaw. So hopefully that helps and, and makes a little bit of sense. Now, you've seen a lot of people bringing in vehicles mm -hmm. that are essentially vehicles that wouldn't be fixed. Yes. But they are being fixed now. Yes. So that's something I know we're probably going to have to step into a break in a moment. But um, we're seeing things because of the economy, because of the inflation uh, because of the, the chip shortage and all those reasons, and even really the reliability of those vehicles, you know, from late 90s into, I'm going to say, early 2010, 2012, the technology that was put into those and the way they were engineered, port fuel injection, not a lot of variable valve timing, um, they were just really refined vehicles. So even when one of those has a couple hundred, 300,000 miles on it, we're seeing people do mechanical restorations and repowers. And that's a little bit of a, a mouthful. But, for instance, we had a gentleman, and I love my F-Series pickups. I don't care whether it's 150, 250, 350. I just I have a passion not to let them die. And they're such great trucks once you do a few mechanical alterations on it that you can get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles. And I've done it time and time again. Um, we had a gentleman that had had some issues. It had sat for eight years. This truck had been non-operational for eight years. And he invested quite a bit in it. We did a repower, so a new crate engine in it, went through the brake system. He had gone through the suspension system, changed all the fluids, and that truck ran and drove beautifully but we're up against our first break i want to elaborate a little bit on that with sarah here in a little bit we'll be right back in a moment your complete car care solution a1 custom car care <laughs> all right welcome back you've got sarah and dustin a1 custom car care sarah when you have an older vehicle so this truck was early 2000s and it was an F-250, kind of like I'm saying. Like I said, we went through the brakes, all the fluids on it. 
he had done some pretty good amount of suspension work. It had newer, they were eight years old, but not a lot of wear and tear on the ball joints and some of the steering linkage. We were able to do alignment. Definitely needed a set of tires, so I think he was going to take care of that on his own. But I worked for, I don't know, probably better part of a week putting a good crate engine in there. Really went very diligent with the wiring. Made sure everything was just, you know, tens essentially. I have some equipment where we flow check the injectors. I think you got to see maybe a video where I was doing that that was actually on this truck. And when I when I did initial startup, that's really a very telling time and really kind of an exciting time. A little bit nervous as well. When you start a brand new engine, um, you're relying on the engine builder to have done a good job. Because if they haven't, and I have been privy to this in the race world, not necessarily we've had a lot of issues, but I have had some engines over the years. If there's a problem with it, you're going to know it pretty quick. And so I did the startup on it. It's always a very exciting time in the shop. You know, you prime the engine, you hook everything up, you make sure it's got good oil pressure, and then you fire it off. And that's kind of the moment where the rubber hits the road and you get that initial startup on a fresh engine. You do the break-in process to make sure the rings are starting to seat, the cam and lifters are starting to kind of wear together. Um, it's... Uh, there's no feeling quite like that. And I, I know probably not a lot of people out there think I'm pretty nuts or weird. Uh, but this engine was a Ford crate engine. So it's we got it directly from Ford Motor Company. Very well put together. Did a fantastic job. And then driving that truck around after it had fresh brakes, we'd gone through and made sure the front end was all in good shape, good and greased, essentially just did some maintenance services on it. Um, that truck drove absolutely amazing. Isn't that the best feeling? It is. It is so awesome because he had had somebody, the reason it ended up needing an engine, he'd had somebody try and fix some blown out spark plugs in it years and years ago. And it sat because they couldn't do a good repair on it. Now, I have saved a lot of those engines without having to put a uh, you know full long block in it. But the fact that this one had been multiply uh, times repaired and sat open, with nothing in that cylinder, um, it had actually formed some kind of a seize area that I was only able to rotate the engine partially around um, in order to get all the flywheel bolts away from the torque converter, or nuts in this case. So, you know, it was a great repair. We serviced it. We got the AC working, um, did some cooling upgrades to make sure the cooling system was in good shape, made sure his air conditioning was in good shape. I mean, this thing was an absolute joy to drive. And the, essentially the satisfaction of breathing life back into a vehicle, and this was a pretty large ticket. I mean, none of this that I'm talking about was cheap, but when you paint it up against trying to locate and buy a truck like this, he was pennies on the dollar to get this truck that he owned outright back up and going in a very reliable and dependable manner. That's really where I get that kind of charge from is when you've got one that's, you know, cosmetically still in really good shape. I don't, he probably doesn't even know this, but I actually took it to the car wash and washed it before we gave it back to him just because I had a lot of labor of love in this vehicle. And I wanted him to, you know, it had eight years of, you know, all the crap that settles on everything. And so I run it up there. I spent a few bucks out of my pocket, got it washed, made sure it was in great shape. It was already running like a rock star, but I wanted to turn him back, you know, kind of that second level of, hey, this was a really great project. It took us a few weeks to get it all done. We waited on an engine for several weeks, 
Um, but once we were able to do all that, you know, I just I really get a good charge, especially in the I know those F series pickups inside and out. Not that I don't know Ford, Dodge, and Chevy, you know, GM, you know, whatever it is, Nissan, Toyota. I know all them as well, but I love bringing these back from the brink and really making some upgrades that, you know, I'm not saying I figured out the world, but, you know, the Ford put some things in there that those got kind of a bad rap. And there's a lot of folks out there that own those trucks. And instead of just discarding them and losing your butt on them because, you know, you had a cam problem or, you know, the variable valve timing, the phasers and all that stuff went out of it. The fact that we could update all that stuff and give you a very reliable system that was or should have been that way from the factory. And now that we've improved what they were, you know, a little shy on and turn that back out, man, those trucks drive and ride beautifully. They're not a real high horsepower engine, but they make a good amount of torque. So as far as being able to tow or haul with them, they do an adequate job, if not a decent job. Um, But that's really one of those projects. While I was doing that project, Harlan, which is just absolute top shelf technician there. He was doing two other engine jobs throughout that time. He put a six liter in a one ton for us, which is a Ford power stroke. That thing turned out beautiful. And he did a repower on an old Jeep Cherokee that was just absolutely cherry. If you've got a four liter, uh, and I pick on Dodge and Jeep quite a bit, uh, you might even call me a hater sometimes, and I don't mean to be that way, so I, I need to show them a little love because these folks brought this really well-cared-for Jeep Grand Cherokee in. I don't recall exactly what year it was. It had a couple hundred thousand miles on it, and I don't know what will let go in that 4-liter, but um, we were able to get a new crate engine for it and install it. I did a, a checkup on it. We like to see them back in the first few hundred miles, just to kind of give them a health check, make sure everything's the way it should be, prevent any issues that may arise in the first few hundred miles. Because once really you get past that first few thousand miles, typically those, the whatever it is, engine transmission, if something's wrong with it, you'll see it pretty quick. It usually doesn't wait 40,000 miles to show its ugly head. But in this one, um, they were able to put a new 4-liter in it. Harlan did a beautiful install in it. I really appreciate when somebody does a good install when you're doing that big of a project. There's a lot of um, a lot of folks don't have the attention to detail on big, big projects like that. Harlan did a beautiful job with it. I looked it over the other day after they had put a few hundred miles on it. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, we're looking over the six liter probably in the next few weeks, making sure that power stroke's still doing good. That thing runs and sounds absolutely beautiful. Had a fresh set of injectors that came with the rebuild on it. So really good kind of heart transplant, if you will. And it salvages those vehicles essentially from going from, you know, a paperweight or scrap money or a couple thousand dollar value. And yeah, you put maybe, you know, a fair amount of thousands of dollars in it, but it breathes life back into it. And when you look at the interior, um, the electrical system, those vehicles, as far as the chassis, they can really go multiple hundreds of thousands of miles without getting real tired. Now, they're going to need some love and maintenance, just like we all do. But when you put that repower in there, whether it's a transmission, transfer case, engine, whatever the case may be, and I've had folks that have brought in vehicles that had a lot of sentimental value, and they just wanted a full new drivetrain put in them. And a lot of people think, oh my God, that's insane. But 
when you really look at what you've got, especially maybe even with some older folks that are used to how a vehicle drives, um, we had a lady, unfortunately, this week that was traveling, and she had, I would say, a early to mid-2000s, I think it was an Envoy. She was very accustomed to how everything worked. Um, whatever happened, and she was out on the interstate towing a, a small camper, um, something came loose and it knocked a hole in the block even before it made it to us. When it arrived on the tow truck, it was definitely damaged. She elected and was able to find a new vehicle, but before she even left our lot, you know, transferring all of her stuff out of her dead vehicle, she was having to read the owner's manual, which I thought was really brilliant. A lot of folks kind of overlook that. There's a lot of very, very good information to where people will own a vehicle for years and not know a certain feature exists or maybe never knows it existed. But before she got back on the road with her new vehicle, and I think she went with a little trailblazer, I think is what I saw she had bought. We were able to get her in contact with a connection or a dealer that could get her into and had a new vehicle because I think she was from Michigan somewhere. So she needed to get back on the road. Um, We were able to get her a brand new or get contact with somebody that had some inventory. They could sell her a new vehicle that fit her bill. But there were so many new features on that that she wasn't used to. Even before she got on the road, she was having to go through and kind of figure some things out, which is very smart. It's very, very smart. But we see that with a lot of older people that love their vehicle, love how it works. They don't want to move into something new that they need to learn and has a bunch of bells and whistles that maybe they're not really interested in. So they want to put some love in them and keep what they got going. And I think with... Today's climate, and I don't want to get into the gloom and doom part of things. I'm not really a gloom and doom person. I'm a, you know, uh, basically be informed and be prepared. But obviously, the inflation is kicking everybody's tail right now. And if you can fix and keep what you own, I think that's really a lot smarter. Not just because I'm in the automotive industry. I don't care what it is that you're doing right now. Um, We're going from the disposable kind of time frame that the last few decades had had. And what I mean by that is, you know, through the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and even into the 80s, a lot of us, not just in the automotive field, would rebuild and repair what we have. And then things got so disposable that when it broke, it was cheaper to get a new one. And then you just threw it away. Basically, you just discarded it. So quality waned quite a bit, in my opinion. And being able to have a piece of equipment, and you look at old shop equipment like lathes or brakes, you know, some of that stuff was decades old and it still worked as good decades later as it did when you got it. You buy a newer one and it's cheap and chintzy and it just, it's disappointing I feel like with the way the world is, we're going to have to get back to fixing and repairing things. And I think that it's really a simpler way to go about it than just discarding it and buying another cheap piece of junk. But we're going to step into a break. Sarah and I will be back in a minute. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back, Sarah. Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Pulled my little soapbox out there on that last little segment. But sometimes I just can't help it, Sarah. It happens. I know. It's one of those things. I just get a little, I, you know, I love what I do. I really, really do. And I, I see that in you here at the station. You know, this is your passion. It's not just a job. It's not a nine to five, you know, punching the clock. I have zero desire to ever go and do something like that. We were kind of talking about that earlier. Yes. I I don't know how people do yeah. it. 
And if that's your thing, that's totally cool. It's just, you know, when I, I guess as a craftsman, and essentially you are here, you're crafting and and putting this out there for many of the masses to listen to and enjoy and consume. And you guys put out great content here on KSGF. I, I, I see that as a reflection of the listeners that show up at the shop or that we meet on events or whatever it is that we're doing. Just the top shelf people. It really, really is nice to be around and, and be part of like-minded people that have a clue, have some uh, common sense that's not so common anymore in yes. today's world. So, Sarah, I have a rule, and I talk about it with my kids, and I'm going to break that rule right now. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you've seen Fight Club. Yes. And you know the first and second rule of Fight Club, right? You don't talk about Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. And I think that this is – and I've been kind of, I guess, I don't want to say struggling with this, um, but I think being prepared right now is a big, big, important topic. And my first rule about prepping is you don't talk about prepping with people. You don't want people to know. But with the way things are going, I think we almost have to. And I realize that, you know, this is automotive talk show and, you know, people probably don't want to hear about being prepared. But I think it's important. And it's not the gloom and doom or even out of fear that, you know, I want to bring this up and have a discussion right now. But I've had this mindset. And what originally attract uh, triggered my preparedness mindset was the ice storm of would be late 06 into 07. Do you recollect that ice storm at all? Were you you were probably pretty young then. I do remember it. We had to spend like three or four days living in our kitchen. It was uh-huh. the middle of the house and uh, that was the warmest place in our house. So yeah, we had a mattress in the kitchen yeah. and actually fun fact, that's how we got acquainted with 1041. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. How did that kind of link up? It was one of the only stations that we were able to get in our ah, house. I and didn't know that. There was a couple of stations, I believe, that were off air that yeah. I don't think that their generators had been working. It happened that we were listening to the radio. 104.1 is what came on, and that's what we listened to for probably like two days straight. I'll be darned. Yeah. That's awesome. That's it's very fitting when you kind of look back and yeah. how things happen. Sometimes things are, you know, a little bit uh, serendipitous, I guess, if you will. But that really, I think, taught a tremendous amount of us a, a lot of lessons. And I know one of mine was, thankfully, I was doing roadside diesel repairs. So I had a generator and, and a fair amount of equipment on my service truck because I work remote or I did at that time so often. Um and so that was kind of a saving grace for us. But I realized really how I was not prepared. You know, if you needed to buy candles or lamp oil or gasoline because everybody was out of power or diesel, you know, any kind of fuel, kerosene, you really it was unbelievable how uh, difficult it was in order to even to get some money out of the bank or have some on-hand cash because everybody was shut down right then. And so I vowed at that point in time that I would not be caught with my pants down figuratively there uh, with that ever again. So since then, I've kind of been preparing and whatnot. And we had a situation at the shop this week where some of, and I don't know if it was a rolling brownout, but part of Springfield was without power this last week. I don't know if you Yeah, I that. heard that. And so we, uh, Sarah and I, I'm uh, sorry, Stacy and I have a little one that has some medical equipment that we cannot be without power. And so it really got me thinking about a lot of folks out there 
and having good transportation, good preparedness, a little bit extra fuel on hand, whether it's gas or diesel and storing it, a little bit extra food on hand. I know we've all been going to the grocery store lately and it's uh, been interesting to say the least, but it really, you know, when you're, you're buying things that you use on a regular basis, it Yes, you may have a little surplus and a little investment there, but I think right now, and I wanted to share this with everybody out there, just hopefully it provokes one person to have a little bit of thought. And I know as a company, we are aware of a lot of the things going on, whether it's oil shortages. um, You know, we had a grease shortage here a few years ago, uh, precious metals, catalytic converters. You know, we're making sure that we're prepared to continue servicing people as a company and not just living on that just-in-time inventory that so much of the country has done. And it really was exposed as a weakness. And so I bring this up, and and please chime in if you think I'm completely off my rocker here, Sarah, that I think we all need to be a little bit more, um, have some cushion or some, uh, some flexibility. And it's no different than I consider paying for insurance, except you're going to use what it is you're buying right now. So You know, as a company, we want to make sure we've got our fluids on hand, we've got a backstock, we've got good relationship with our vendors, and pay very close attention to that because I don't want to have somebody come in and, you know, their air conditioning not work or them need to do maintenance and we not have the equipment to service them. And so we absolutely do. We continue to build those strong relationships with our vendors. But even on personal levels out there with people, I think it's very, very important to have a little bit of backstock. Do you think I'm just off my rocker, Sarah? No, because I I live a life of preparedness, uh-huh. too. And I do it with my vehicle. Mm-hmm. I also do it in my personal life, too. And I think that that is a great thing to make sure that you're prepared, not just for your everyday life, but mm-hmm. in case of an emergency. Yeah, it's it just gives me that little bit of peace of mind that and and I've been in these boats where I've had, you know, a flat tire or, you know, had somebody run out of gas. You and I've talked about that. You've been able to swoop in and and be that saving grace for somebody in a time of turmoil that, you know, I want I don't want to have to worry about that stuff. Hey, if something happens, I got a plan ready and we're going to go into it. And yes, things happen. Um, but a lot of times if we can cover our bases or our basics, if you will, then it's not such an emergency at that point in time. And so you're, you know, we, we all have this capacity to deal with things, right? Some of us more than others. Um, but as you continue to hone your skills, your equipment, your, you're ready to deal with some of the headwinds. Cause in case anybody noticed life, uh, likes to send us some headwinds from time to time. You've got to make sure you've got the tools or at least the contact of the tools. You know, it's not always me being the contact. You know, sometimes it's one of our team members. Sometimes it's somebody in a whole nother state or a town that I've built a relationship with that if something happens and somebody's far away, one of my loved ones, I can say, hey, call this person, go to this person, whatever it is. And they have a similar mindset, which is essentially what we were alluding to earlier that, hey, you need to find those people and have those people in your back pocket essentially to have those contacts. Uh, I can think of a a great example. I had nothing to do with it. Um, The owners of the company, they had some family members that were stranded, I believe, somewhere around the Oklahoma area and coming into Missouri. And because of our contacts with a uh, parts distributor, they were able to phone in a really cool lifeline 
and got some great service from a facility out there and get their their loved ones up and going to where we could get them back to the shop and get them off of their trip and be able to fix the root cause of the problem. But that's one of those things that when you really, um, you know, strive to be great in your industry, your your reach continues to grow because, you know, maybe we've helped them at one point in time and we have that great relationship that when we need to phone a friend that we can. And I'm, I'm very blessed to be a part of a company that really has an amazing, amazing reach and reputation that a lot of times when we expand and need new talent, you know, because of what we have been able to do for decades and decades, a lot of times that top talent is really kind of seeking us out. And any of you that are in the automotive industry or whatever industry you're in, you know, finding good top talent is one of the very biggest things that you need to be devoting your time to, as well as taking care of the talent that you have. So if you're in landscaping or masonry or the medical field, you better be working to be a great place to work and attract that top talent because that top talent is going to look for people that are on par with the industry and continuing to grow. If you're a industry or business that is not growing, you are dying and going out of business slowly. I cannot express that enough. And that's one of the best things that I love about the culture at A1 Custom Car Care is that we are on the front end and the front side of that. And because of that, we find folks that are like-minded as well, and they're at a facility that they're not able to grow. The opportunity is not there. And a lot of times they leave that because they feel like they're limited in what it is they're doing. I love the fact that I can walk into pretty much any of our stores and they're as passionate and if not as informed or educated on a lot of these topics as I am that we can make each other better, essentially steel sharpens steel. And so, you know, I've got technicians that I work with on a daily basis and I consider myself an extremely good technician that can school me on things that I'm not educated and I can hopefully do that for them. So we got one more break. We're going to step into it and we'll be back in a moment. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. A1 Custom Car Care. We got just a little bit of time left. And uh, we had a listener of the show, Sarah, last week. Uh, I always wonder sometimes if folks from our office and our company listen to our shows. Yes. And I feel like sometimes it's just my mom out there listening, or maybe, <laughs> you know, your loved ones, you know, tuning into the shows. Um, and so Lois and Kenny own the company. Great folks. I have learned and continue to learn from both of them uh, very much so over the many years and decades at this point. And so Kenny and I, Kenny is a Chevrolet man to the end, I think. And, and rightfully so. He has probably one of the cleanest, I want to say it's a mid-90s uh, Chevy pickup that is in just immaculate condition. Anytime it sits out front of our shop, it gets a lot of looks from just people coming and going because it's absolutely beautiful. But we were talking about towing last weekend. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't remember. And then it had come to me. Um, my Ford pickup was the last thing that I had towed. And so Kenny rightfully pointed out that since I switched to driving a General Motors, knock on wood, 
I have not had to have a toe since then. And so we had a good laugh about that Tuesday morning. And, and you know, he's right. That Ford pickup was wonderful. I had uh, over 300,000 miles on it when we sold it. Uh, it was a rock-solid pickup. Um, and I'm still a huge F-Series fan. So anybody out there that's got a Ford, I am right there with you. However, when I was looking for a new utility or service truck, I run onto a really good deal on a one-ton Chevy. And I needed some more interior room, and this one was an extended cab. I carry a lot of diagnostic equipment in the truck that I utilize at, at all of our locations. And so it has been a great, great truck for me. Um, it has been absolutely dependable. It's been a very comfortable ride. So, you know, I got a lot of love. I always tell people I love them all. You know, we, we work on all makes, all models. And uh, so Kenny pointed that out, that since I don't drive a Ford, I have not had to call a tow truck, which I thought was pretty fitting. Had to give you a little grief, he didn't did. he? He <laughs> did. And I got to take it for 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 what it's worth, because, you know, I beat the band for my love for Fords as well. But even my personal fleet, it's a little bit of a mixture at this point in time. So my personal vehicle, so you guys know what I own out there, um, I have a one-ton Duramax Chevy that I absolutely love. We pull our camper with it. You'll get to see it. We'll utilize it for some towing needs for you and Ryan. Um, this thing is a beast. It tows. That Duramax and Allison transmission is a rock star. I also have uh, Stacy's vehicle, my lady. She drives a diesel-powered Ford Excursion, which is a bad mamma jamma too. I love that thing. Four-wheel drive, 7.3 turbo diesel. Uh, I'm not strictly a diesel guy by no means. My service truck here is a six-liter gas engine. Been a rock star Chevy. We have uh, the kids drive. One has a Hyundai and one has a Kia. And then my daughter, even to give my Dodge folks a little bit of love there, she is 15. We went out to the middle of Kansas and towed her back a 96 four-wheel drive 318 Dodge Dakota. So pretty much have almost everything represented in our fleet. Um, I do have a small dump truck project that I've been building the last couple of years. It's got a 7.3 turbo diesel on it as well. Um, I will uh, hopefully be working and getting that. I've got it to where it dumps and it works, um, but I'm refining some of the lifting stuff on it. But uh, I figured I needed a dump truck in my life. So uh, with Stacy's grace, I am uh, building that uh, in my off time. So that's kind of what I, I, like I say, I love them all. You know, there's good ones and bad ones in there. A lot of times we'll have folks call the store and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying XYZ. And even sometimes without doing a pre-purchase inspection, we will steer those people away from those vehicles uh, that are very known problem child vehicles. So keep that in mind. If you have a relationship with one of our A1 custom locations, two in Springfield, one out in Republic, definitely utilize that and say, hey, is this worth a pre-purchase inspection? A lot of times they'll shine you in the right direction. So uh, that's been a, a very nice uh, resource. Um, you grew up in a Dodge family, if that's if I remember right. I did. And you know what? We were talking about that the other day. And I know that people give Dodge a lot of grief. Oh, but no. That doesn't happen, dude. <laughs> let me tell you. I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, all of the Dodges that I've had over the mm -hmm. years were fantastic. Yep. I drove a 2005 Dodge Neon while I was in high school. Drove nice. that for... 
four or five years, and it mm-hmm. was amazing. And then after that, I drove. Uh, my mom passed me her vehicle, and she got herself a new vehicle, and that is a 2005 Dodge Stratus. And mm-hmm. I had that forever. And in fact, that's the vehicle that uh, started our relationship. And I, that, she bought that brand new. That thing had a lot of miles on it by the time you were finally finished with it. It did. And it was a fantastic really little was. car. And, you know, we ended up trading it in. And I think that somebody ended up fixing it. And hopefully, I like to wish that yeah. somebody's out there driving it still because it was a good little vehicle. Sure. My mom has a Dodge Avenger. And then my dad has a uh, Ram pickup. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't know all of the two, six, four, <laughs> five numbers that you do. But... I can't help it. It's just part of who I am. <laughs> it's a 90s model i don't know the exact year either but i mean that thing has been beaten to death and it still runs like a champ so i will say even though dodge has a little bit of a wrap with you um we've always had really great luck with them well and and i gotta give certain platforms you know if you've got a four liter inline six cylinder man you can't hardly beat those so dodge did some amazing things at different points Depending who owned Dodge at the time is really the big thing. So, you know, a lot of those that you're talking about, Dodge was really on kind of the the top end of things. But Dodge was sold, you know, Mercedes owned them for a little while. They were owned by a group of uh, just individuals that had way more money than I do. It was a bunch of guys bought the the corporation. Didn't we talk about this? Mm-hmm. I can't remember if we talked about it during the break at one point or if we did a show on it. Yeah. It, and so you see that influence change as the generation. That's where a lot of my kind of, you know, poking at Dodge a little bit comes from. But I got to I got to show them some love. You know, the five nine Cummins that uh, Dodge essentially set the market on some of these towing pickups. I mean, you can't get anybody better than that five nine Cummins. It is amazing what that little inline six cylinder diesel will do, as well as some of their gas engines. You know, their four liter, even some of the five two, the five nine. You know, those gas engines were wonderful gas engines. So, you know, it, there is some great things in there. They are owned by Fiat now, which is an Italian company, and I'm not a huge fan of some of the engineering decisions that Fiat has come out with. I'm not saying it's horrible or bad, but I see plagued problems, and I'm like, man, it's one thing to have a problem, okay? I get that. You know, we designed it, we engineered it, it worked, you know, in the time we tested it, and then we released it out into the consumer world, which is you and I buying them, and then over the life expectancy, some of those weak points show up. And so that's where generation one, two, and three, four, et cetera, comes in. They resolve some of those problems as they, you know, create solutions to that. What I really am disappointed at is the three six Pentastar engine that they put in a lot of those Chrysler products has problems. And they eat cams and cam followers and lifters and et cetera, uh, oil pumps, and then they don't fix them. And so they just keep producing those problems. And so I have to have these discussions with folks. And so that's where some of my grief comes from. Does that make any sense? It does. And I could see why that would be frustrating. Yeah. I'm like, take care of your consumer. Because in the end of it, once it's out of warranty, most people don't go back to the dealer. The dealer techs are really savvy on a lot of the warranty work. And warranty works fine, but the the manufacturer pays for it. You don't as a consumer. So by the time you, you seek out maybe a, a less expensive option with still very skilled folks, then, you know, we have to have those conversations. And, hey, this thing wasn't built right. 
And that's why you're having these problems. Yeah, we can fix it, but it's going to happen again. And I don't want to do that to people. I want them to be informed about it. So I think that's a very important thing. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, we have a minute left. We have a minute left. Two things I want to talk about real quick is air conditioning. Okay. It is hot out there. Yeah, no kidding. I (laughs) am fed up with being sweating to the oldies. So if your AC is not working... You need to get it in and have it checked. We have the equipment for the new AC or the new refrigerant coming out. Do not buy, and everybody out there listening is sick of hearing me complain about it, but I continue to see it. Stop leak or sealer and try and fix your AC problems. Whether you bring it to us or somebody else that has the right equipment, get your AC in, get it checked. A lot of times it's not a crazy huge repair unless you put stop leak or sealer in there then I guarantee it's a crazy huge repair. See what's going on with it, get an estimate, and stay cool. You know, I don't want to be sweating. I don't want to be going home and, not, you know, not uh, having to be comfortable after I've sweated all day at work, and I don't want you guys to either. And I don't want the big box parts stores to push that stop leak on you and then you be in that situation. So if you have 134A system, which is the most common one, we got you. If you have 1234YF or you've been to a facility that can't take care of your AC needs, all of our locations can. So I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. All right. Stay safe out there. Bye.